Welcome to the Student Ministry Podcast. I'm Ben Trueblood alongside producer Nathan. What's up? How's it going? It's going good, man. For another episode that we are super excited about. Um, our guest today, can't wait for us to get into this content and introduce him to you on a topic that I think is going to be really, really valuable, youth pastor, youth ministry leader, for not just the people that you pastor and helping them navigate difficult issues, but actually for you too. There'll be some really key things to consider as we get into today's topic. But first, I have to use the but first because we we just finished up season 24 of Big Brother and that's like <laughs> Julie Chen Moonves, like that's her phrase. So for Big Brother fans out there, I had to throw that in for you, which I don't feel like are many. We're we're a small but tight knit group. Anyway, go and leave the rating and review. We uh we would love to hear what you think of the podcast. Any topics that you would love for us to cover, put those in the comment section. We do read every single one of those and love to get the topics that you want into the podcast. It also, when you do that, helps other people people find the podcast as they search for student ministry content on the podcast platform of their choice. So thanks in advance for doing that. Doesn't take long. I want to introduce you now to our guest for today. Jason Thacker serves as the chair of research and technology, ethics, and director of the Research Institute at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, he also serves as an adjunct instructor of philosophy, ethics, and worldview at Boyce College in Louisville, which is connected to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So that is Jason. And Jason has just written a book uh, called Following Jesus in a Digital Age. That's Following Jesus in a Digital Age. And right before we press record, he was telling us about another uh, resource that would be really helpful for you student pastors called A Student's Guide to Social Media. And that is out there as well. It's meant to help you engage in those conversations, but also just to give straight to teenagers in your ministry. Uh, so I want to let you know about those two things. Jason, Welcome to the podcast, man. It's really good to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Excited about it. So we uh, we always like to spend a little bit of time uh, getting to know people as we jump into the podcast here. So I mentioned kind of the work stuff. Uh, what about the non-work stuff? Family, things that you love to do. Who is Jason beyond the titles? <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because some of those titles, it's 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 a lot. It's a mouthful uh, to get through exactly <laughs> where I work and what I do. But yeah, right. we um, I, I do a lot of work in uh, Christian ethics specifically and helping uh, to engage Christian worldview and kind of think biblically about the world around us and how we engage these issues. Um, I'm also pursuing a doctoral degree right now um, at Southern Seminary in ethics and philosophy. And so that's where I spend most of my time, just to be honest with you, um, is doing writing and research and uh, doing a lot of study and things. Um, I'm married to my wife, Dory, for a little over eight years. Uh, we also have two kids, a four-year-old and a six-year-old, two boys, and we live in the Nashville area. Um, I'm a runner. Um, not, I'm not saying I'm a professional runner by any means, but I enjoy <laughs> running. Um, it's also a good time that I get to listen to audiobooks. I'm not a big music person. Um, I like music, but in general, I just like to listen to books and audio podcasts and things like that, especially when I run. So it's a good excuse to listen to a couple books while I'm run, out for a long run or something like that. But um, our boys keep us very busy. So we, we love our family. We spend a lot of time with one another and uh, try to be active in our local church, et cetera. That's great. Well, you're in an interesting town to not like music very much. I enjoy it. Now, I'll say this. I actually really enjoy country music. Um, okay. 
it's one of those things I think just kind of growing up on it. So I enjoy listening to it, but when it's just me and I'm running, I'd much rather just listen to a book or something like that. But yeah, it is kind yeah. of a, uh, I also really love Tennessee, the Tennessee volunteers. Um, I'm a UT okay. grad. Um, and so college football is kind of my thing. So. Well, you, the, at the record at the time of the recording, you're coming off of a a great weekend versus Florida. So, congrats, congratulations! Yes, and a on slight that. heart attack actually uh, in that game as well. So, uh, yeah, it was a mixed weekend to say the least, but it was fun. Now, it's glad to see this team finally doing something uh, good as opposed to the last decade that's been pretty terrible. So, well, uh, as an Arkansas fan, I can share in the last decade of. Uh, of struggle. So, uh, <laughs> on to other things. D- does does Jason, who spends a lot of his time in ethics and study and writing and doctoral work, have a guilty pleasure, so to speak? It's a bad phrase, but uh, as you listen to audiobooks, is there a a genre that you listen to that gets you kind of out of? Hmm all of the intellectual things. Yeah. I, I like history. Um, I know right. that's still kind of intellectual in that sense, but I I'll actually really love history and stories and things like that. Uh, those are some of the better audiobooks. Um, some that are a little bit more like teaching and things like that can get pretty heavy when you're listening to them. So I do enjoy a little bit of history, storytelling, things like that. I'm a nerd. I can't hide that. Uh, my <laughs> wife will tell you that pretty clearly, um, but I'll say a guilty kind of uh maybe not guilty. My wife would say it is, but just watching college football, things like that. Like that's kind of how I mellow out a little bit. Um, and also get my uh, blood pressure a little too high um, while I'm watching Tennessee football there. So I I understand. Well, we like nerds around here. So, uh, you're in, you're in a good place. Um, let's dive into the book. Um, and once again, the book is called following Jesus in a digital age, uh, by Jason Thacker. So, uh, Jason, you know, we use, the internet, we use social media, we use technology as a tool all the time. Pastors that are listening to this, youth pastors that are listening to this, it is a, a what many would call a necessary tool in their toolbox as they do ministry in this day and age. Uh, what are some warning signs that technology is actually using us rather than yeah. us using the technology? Yeah, that's one of the things that I try to address in the first chapter of the book is kind of peeling back the layers on technology, because I think it's easy for us that it's almost kind of natural and understandable for us to see these tools, whether it's social media or our phones or our computers is isolated. We just think it's a tool we use, right? It's just something we use. We can use it for good. We can use it for bad, but it's something we're just using. And I think if we step back and kind of step out of some of these conversations, some of the patterns and habits we have and start to ask some of these really hard questions, we'll realize that technology is a lot more than just a tool. Um, It's actually something that's deeply shaping us and deeply forming us. And for some, when they hear that, they may immediately think discipleship. And that's really what I'm talking about throughout this book is that technology is forming and shaping us, you know, albeit discipling us for very particular ways and very particular ends for very particular purposes. And sometimes Mm -hmm. those goals and those purposes of our tools are not in line with our faith. We see this, whether it's in young people or even in ourselves, where um, we seem to be more divided as a nation or as a society or even our churches, even maybe our youth groups um, over very particular issues that are important to talk about, but, but they come become the defining issue. That's that's um, 
where we can't have good community with one another. We're not able to kind of talk about our differences in a healthy way. We see just kind of this bickering and this tension and this polarization or whether we're starting to see some of the ways that technology is shaping how we understand truth, where it's all about my, my truth, my reality, my body, my choice is all about me, 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 me where the Bible is actually seeing something very different, that it's not all about you. It's actually all about God. It's all about Jesus and what he did on the cross. So it's actually about him. This is his universe and we're living in it. We're his image bearers. So it takes that focus off of us. Well, in modern society, particularly in a digital age, we're fed a lie that everything's about us. Um, It's my feed, my post, my this, my this, building a platform, building an influence, you know, uh, having a following, having all of this where we have these perfectly curated environments. And some of the other ways we see it as well is in just the way that we kind of see technology forming us and shaping us where we're on these devices 24-7 almost. I mean, maybe five or six hours, hopefully more than that at night uh, that you're not on your device, but it's still next to you. I think many of us still have the bad habit of using our phone as our alarm clock or charging it right next to our bed. And it's the first thing we see when we get up. And it's the last thing we check before we roll over and turn and close our eyes for the night. We're on our devices constantly. And so I think for Christians, especially uh, youth ministry leaders and just church leaders in general, we should step back, slow down a little bit, And ask some of these big questions about what is technology actually doing to us? How is it forming and shaping us? How is it discipling us? And is this in line with our faith? It always reminds me back to Romans 12, 2, where Paul says, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We are being conformed. You are being shaped. You are being conformed to the world around you. As Christians, we need to take hold of these things and realize that God has called us to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. So when we look at these tools and the way they're forming and shaping us, and we can kind of unpack that if you want, is when we start to realize these things, we can understand what does it look like to actually follow Jesus with wisdom and with truth and with grace in a digital age that seems bent kind of on the opposite of all of those things. Uh, that causes us to go faster, better, stronger, and not always to slow down, ask some of these hard questions and cultivate wisdom for how we navigate a lot of the challenges before us today. I think that last part is so important in my view as a person who has two teenagers and two elementary school kids in the home, as a person who uses technology in work every single day. So one thing is true in that we're not going backwards. Not at all. Uh, outside of some type of Kevin Costner like situation where <laughs> either the postman or water world or one of these other movies where he finds himself in a post-apocalyptic situation. So unless that happens, we're going to continue to go forward. Yep. But I think what you just mentioned is how do we follow Jesus in an environment where we're go- this is something we have to live in. So we have to learn how to do it. And while it is true that the Bible does not speak specifically to here's how you handle social media and here's how you live for me in the in amidst a digital world, we do see the Bible giving us principles. We do see the Bible giving us guidelines that can be a straight line to how to live in this moment. So how would you help Christians apply 
biblical wisdom to today's technology challenges. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned one of them a minute ago, and that's the divisiveness. I think that's a huge challenge for people today, a huge challenge for student pastors as they navigate the, the divisiveness that their teenagers see that maybe they partake in from a theological or biblical standpoint, uh, maybe that their parents see or take part in as they try to parent kids. And so as parent, as student pastors try to partner with the home, it's amazing to me that something created to help the world become a smaller place and communicate more effectively actually does that and the opposite thing at the exact same time. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how that happens. But so going back to the question, how would you help Christians apply the biblical wisdom to today's technology challenges? Yeah, there's a couple of things that you mentioned. I just want to kind of reiterate because you're spot on. We're not going back to yesteryear. This kind of often this nostalgic look of, oh, it used to be so much better. Well, you know what? Back when it was, quote, so much better, it also was pretty rough then too. And the reality is, is that we've never lived in kind of the golden age. We've never lived in this mm -hmm. perfect environment where everything was great. Each age has its own challenges. It also has its own opportunities. And I think for Christians, one of the first things we can just recognize is that God has placed us in this time, in this place, with the challenges before us for a particular reason. And ultimately what that reason is, is really the core of the Christian ethic. It's Matthew, it's Matthew 22, where Jesus is saying, he's saying he's being challenged about what is the greatest commandment. He gives the summation of the law and the prophets, really the summation of the ethic, you know, how God has called us to live in light of who he is and what he's done for us. He says, the first commandment is to love the, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving our neighbor is at the center and at the core of the Christian life. And so when we talk about ethics, and when I talk about ethics, I think most of us understandably kind of think about that one subject in school that we really didn't want to take. <laughs> or if we're in business or we've taken some business classes or whatever, you know, those were things we didn't really want to do was like business ethics. It sounds so formal and dry and disconnected from our daily life. Well, in reality, God speaking to us is the nature of theology, doctrine, the Bible itself, and how God has revealed himself to us. And our response to those things is our ethic. It's our morality. It's how we're called to live. So in some sense, ethics is really just discipleship. So in many ways, we are making ethical and moral decisions every day, all day long, and that is shaping our response, how we interact, how we see God, how we see ourselves, and how we interact in the world around us. And so for Christians, well, as you said, we can't go to the Bible and find, you know, go to our concordance and look up AI and algorithms and social media and email. Yeah, obviously, Paul never talked about these things. But that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't have a distinct way, a distinct ethic or a distinct way of us uh, calling us to live in light of the challenges we face today. And that's where I think it's helpful for us to realize the Bible isn't some like dry set of rules that we're supposed to follow. What it is, is actually it's, it's, it's pointing us to life, ultimately life in Jesus and the new, new hope that we have in, um, through, his, uh, through the, the gospel message itself. But also it's calling us how to live in light of those truths. And that's really the beauty of biblical wisdom. That's one of the things that I do throughout the book is kind of pointing us back to those books in the middle of our Bible that we don't spend a lot of time on um, in terms of like the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. But even going into the New Testament, places like James, where I think a lot of 
people, especially youth, are sometimes confused because it seems like James is talking about all about works and the necessity of works. And sometimes we get a little confused and kind of in the weeds, like, isn't it all about grace? But it's actually about a grace-filled work, a graceful work, meaning that we're transformed by the by Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And that's salvation. It's a free gift of salvation for all who believe. But that grace works. That grace does stuff. That grace is going to magnify and honor the Lord to love God and love our neighbors ourselves. And so when we're faced with a lot of the challenges today, we can realize that the Bible speaks deeply to how we are to model Christ, to honor God, to love God and love our neighbor, whether it be on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, through our email, through Zoom, through all of the technological devices and uh, tools that we use each day, is ultimately we're to love God and love our neighbors ourselves. So the question is then how do we do that? And that's what I'm trying to kind of build out is build out a Christian ethic or this idea of discipleship in a digital age and what it means to follow Jesus wisely. So say you are like, let's narrow down to the audience of this particular podcast, which would be student ministry leaders, student pastors. Uh, Sometimes they pass this on to parents and other people uh, as they attempt to partner with them. So say you're in that environment and there's a student that says, Hey, I want, I want to use my technology. I want to use my social media to love my neighbor, to uh, be a light in, in my world. I, I want to do that. How do I do it? Yeah. What would you, what would be some first steps that you would give a student pastor to coach them or a parent to help their teenager understand this is how you can live for Jesus in a digital space where they yeah. may not even, where somebody may not know you, but they're going to encounter your content. Yeah. And this is kind of a multi-pronged thing, but I think one of the most important things we can do is to realize it isn't a checklist. I think, and there's nothing wrong with it, kind of here's five steps to kind of write your relationship with technology or to use social media wisely. A lot of those things are good and helpful. One of the problems, though, is we jump to solutions without adequately addressing the problem. And I think that's where a lot of pastors and ministry leaders specifically can talk about the nature of technology, how it's forming and shaping us in these particular ways, how it's shaping our view of the world, or uh, to put it in language that we often talk about, it shapes our worldview. It shapes the way that we think about the world around us and starting to understand some of those things. And that's what I try to do in the book is let's peel back the layers a little bit because it's easy to go faster, better, stronger. Let's just use these tools because we can reach more people for Jesus. And all of that can be good and right and holy and God honoring. But we also have to realize that for all, and you mentioned this earlier, for all of the promises and opportunities that came along with social media in particular, but really just kind of technology in general, there's also there's a lot of good opportunities, but there's also a lot of negative things that come along with it. And yeah. so it's not one of those things that here here's what you should do and this is going to fix everything. Here's your checklist. It's actually cultivating a heart of wisdom, a, a heart of discernment, um, because there aren't easy answers to some of the challenges we face today. Um, some people, when they read through my book, they might go, I don't really agree with them here, here and here. And that's OK. My hope with this book is to help you think better is to help you process to to discern wisely and to have better discernment for when you face a lot of these questions and challenges. But I think one of the first things you can do is just understanding that technology isn't just merely a tool we use, but it's actually something that's deeply forming and shaping us. And then in what ways is it doing that? And for me, it was, you know, simply kind of recognizing um, I woke up on social media and I went to bed on social media, meaning I was 
every, I was getting my news, I was connecting with people and it was just realizing how much information I'm being kind of thrown and kind of inundated by or overwhelmed by and starting to go, something's not right here. What is it doing to me? I feel more anxious. I feel more isolated. I feel more alone, even though I'm supposedly more connected with other people. What's going on there? That doesn't seem right. And so that's where I wanted to kind of pull back a little bit to understand what's actually going on here with the nature of technology, how it's forming and shaping us. Because especially for young people, this is the world in which they inhabit. This is the world in yeah. which they grew up. They're called, called, quote, digital natives, meaning that they have never known a day before technology. In some sense, that can be good for them because maybe they see things a little clearer than we do. But on the flip side of it, they also don't see a lot of the things maybe that we see. And that's why we need one another uh, to kind of challenge us, to push us, to shape us, to realize social media isn't just a tool we're using, but it's actually something deeply using us. It's an interesting conversation because uh, as a parent myself who uses social media and has social media, I've actually been blessed like my teenagers don't like they haven't asked for it yet. So I'm like, this is great news for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think we're still like part of the difficulty of this conversation is we're still all figuring this out. Mm -hmm. It wasn't 20, 25 years ago that this, like it first started to even be a thing with, with AOL and instant messaging and like all of that coming into play in a, major way. And so I think part of the difficulty for parents is that we're all still trying to figure this thing out. Even mm -hmm. those of us who feel like we have a pretty decent grasp. And I think even the world to an extent, this thing is not very old when compared yeah. to modes of communication that exist in our world. Yeah. And it's moving at lightning speed. Uh, in your book, you, you kind of point to there are some aspects of technology failings that would be easy for us to pass the blame, but we actually need to take some responsibility, some personal responsibility and that biblical wisdom actually calls us to take responsibility for your actions. I would love to hear you speak to that in particular. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting about kind of a lot of the conversations, you're exactly right. We're not very far into this basically social media experiment no one really knew what was going to happen when you connected the world like this, when you had yeah. constant connectivity. No one really knew what was going to happen. There were a lot of promises. There were a lot of promises of deeper community, richer community, uh, more access to information, that it was going to be this usher in this like uh, life of freedom, that we were going to have, we were going to know things that we never knew. We were going to be more connected. And in some sense, that's been true. But it, we're starting to realize maybe even the last year or two, that maybe some of these promises were a little overhyped, that yeah. maybe some of these things were actually weren't exactly what they said it was going to be. While I may have uh, more friendships in terms of more followers and more people kind of, uh, kind of in, in the rat race of social media alongside of me, do I actually have deeper connections and richer relationships? I would argue no. Um, even though like, you know, we've, I've never actually met you in person. This is a big benefit. We can use technology to connect over a podcast or something like this. We don't really know each other. We kind, we know of each other, but we don't actually know one another. Yeah. 
that's one of the temptations that I think, especially for young people, especially for youth pastors and ministry leaders, is that social media can give the allure of community and relationships, but often not deliver on those promises. And as we can notice this when we walk into a room and everyone is on their phone. This is the, there's a really, she has like the best title of a book. Um, it's a, a author named Sherry Turkle and she has a book called Alone Together. And I'm like, that's exactly what's happening here um, yeah. is that we are together in the sense that we're all on these digital platforms, but we're very isolated and alone. And that's actually a perennial problem. It's always been with uh, people in general, but even specifically teenagers. But it's really interesting, especially now that we have these tools that promise all of this community that people are very anxious, very isolated, very alone. Um, they feel that way. They don't actually have some of the rich connections and relationships that they were designed for. And so part of that is that we've used technology kind of as a crutch um, to kind of shore up some of those things. And so while you might have a lot of followers online or friends online, do you really know these people? Do they really know you? Do they know the good and the bad? Or do they just know you but not really love you? Or do they love you and not actually really know you? And so there's kind of that beauty of being fully known and fully loved. Uh, Tim Keller mm -hmm. talks about in a Meaning of Marriage book, but he's really hitting at just kind of a biblical principle is that in God, we, he fully knows us and he fully loves us. And that's actually very safe. But when we have this idea of being fully known or just fully loved, it can be very isolating. It can be very anxious. It can be very overwhelming. And I saw this in my own life. So I'm not just writing as this is disconnected. I realize that when I'm on social media a lot, I'm more anxious. I'm more angry. I'm more quick tempered. Um, I feel very kind of one upmanship. I feel like I always have to kind of perform and put on this kind of personas and things like that. And realizing something's going on here is that these tools are not neutral. They're not good. They're not bad, but they're also not neutral. Um, there's something that's deeply shaping and forming us to particular ends in particular ways. So part of that taking responsibility is not only for the ways that you use technology, but also the ways, the things that you're exposed to. It's easy for us, I think, today, especially as adults, sometimes we'll just blame the government. We'll blame other people, those people over there for ruining everything. Or, you know, the government or these tech companies need to take more responsibility. They need to fix all these problems. And I'm sitting here going, Yes, let's have those conversations for sure. But you're the one using this technology and this tool. And I think yeah. you're exactly right as a dad of teenagers. They're, they may not have asked you yet. I assume they will at some point, especially if they ever listen to this podcast. Um, but, you know, they they're going to ask you. They'll ask you those things. And then, so the question is, is what decision do you make? No one's forcing your hand on that. Um, and so what kind of decision will you make and how are we going to train up the next generation to be wise and discerning? Because we're not going back to yesteryear. We're not going back to these pre-digital times. This is the time that God has called us to live. So how do we do so with wisdom and with discernment as we seek to follow Jesus in our digital age? Yeah. And I have, yeah, th there, there's no doubt they will, that those questions are coming. Uh, I have predetermined in my mind that uh, I, I, it's something I will allow because it allows conversations for us yeah. to have. And we'll, it's something we will be able to navigate together. And hopefully out of that principles will be able to be put in yeah. place along the way. Um, I, you know, it's easy for Christians. It's easy for people. Um, I, I, I don't think even on this point, you have to necessarily be a Christian to see that it's easy to be overwhelmed and discouraged yeah. by the narrative that exists in the internet space these days. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't, 
I don't think the Holy Spirit has to be present for someone to at least be able to see, <laughs> man, something's not right here. Yeah. Uh, this doesn't feel good. Um, but there's, but you have hope for people and following Jesus in the digital age. And I, I would love to focus in on that hope for a little bit, yeah. because I think so much of the narrative around in Christian circles now around technology, around what it's doing is focused on all of the true and damaging things that are taking place. Yep. Maybe not enough on the hope that can be there in following mm -hmm. Jesus in this moment. So I would love for you to speak to that. Yeah. One of the funny things about being an author is uh, sometimes when you read reviews of your book afterward, uh, some are fair, some are not, uh, <laughs> but it's really funny. My first book, um, the age of AI, where I was talking about artificial intelligence and kind of a very specific kind of narrow issue with technology. I was accused of being way too optimistic. Um, you need to talk mm -hmm. about more of like the damaging effects. And I'm like, yes, I agree. But you also know there's hope here. Like I don't have to be like despondent and overwhelmed and kind of the sky is falling type of thing. Is God is still God. God is actually Jesus is sitting on the throne right now, regardless if we think he is or not. He is coming back. Um, on the other side, when they'll read a book like this, sometimes they go, oh, "You're so negative about technology. Why can't you be positive?" And I'm like, maybe it's both of these things. Like yeah. it's not just all bad and it's not all good. We have to take a more wise and discerning approach. And one of the reasons I'm hopeful and optimistic is because I am a Christian. Like I know the end of the story. I think a lot of times Christians look to books like the book of Revelation and we go there and we're like, okay, when is Jesus coming back? Maybe I can get the felt board pieces in just the right way and I can understand what's coming. <laughs> Sorry, that's a joke for some uh, older folks that may listen that's to the right. podcast about the old uh, felt boards. But like, we're always wondering like, when is Jesus coming back and what is this going to look like and all of this? And we're thinking about the future and that sense of like, what's going to happen. The crazy thing about the book of Revelation is it's actually not written for that purpose. Not that I'm not, not true and not that those things aren't there. It's actually written to give people hope in the midst of chaos. It's also, it's actually written to give people hope in the midst of fear and anxiety and being overwhelmed and being persecuted even uh, for their faith. And, you know, while we're not experiencing biblical persecution, maybe there are some, there are many Christians today who do feel very persecuted in some sense. Yeah. We feel overwhelmed. We feel chaotic. We feel like the world is kind of crumbling around us. We don't know what to do and how to think. And it can feel overwhelming and isolating and uh, kind of daunting in that sense. And a lot of us, when we look at technology, we think that we're like, oh man, this is so bad. Look at all of the negative things. And we need to talk about those things. We need to be honest about those things. But when we look to Jesus and we look to the Bible, specifically go to like Revelation 20 and 21, Jesus is sitting on the throne. The end of the story has been written. He is sitting on the throne. The people of God are gathered around him from all tribes, nations, and tongues saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is yet to come. That is the end of the story. Thus, if we take that perspective as Christians engaging into the technological age that can feel very overwhelming and chaotic, we can have a peace, we can have a hope, and we can live in light of those truths. Meaning, I don't say, you know, woe is me, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, everything's kind of coming loose, I don't know what to do here, it's overwhelming, chaotic, and fearful, is Jesus is still God. Jesus is actually alive. He is actually sitting on the throne, and he is coming back. In light of that, how then do we live?
And that's the question of ethics. How then do we live? How do we live in light of these things? How do we navigate these things with wisdom and peace and with discernment? Um, we don't have to be scared. We don't have to be overwhelmed um, because we can have that peace. Now, that doesn't negate the real challenges we have before us, but it does kind of reframe them to help us understand them in light of these truths. And that's what biblical wisdom is all about, reminding us of these big truths of who God is, who we are as his image bearers, and how he's called us to live in this world, and pairing those beliefs with our actions or our theology with our ethic. And that's then how we live in light of these things. And so realizing that, you know, just as Paul said in Romans 12, 12, 2, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, you are being shaped and formed by the things you do each other, whether it's technology or not. You are being conformed to this world. But our task as Christians and as Christian leaders specifically engaging them and equipping the next generation is help them to see that they are being shaped, but we can be then have our minds and our bodies and our, our, our kind of worlds reshaped and retransformed by the power of Christ and through the power of his gospel to see things clearer and to understand what's really going on. Cause exactly what you said earlier, it de- you don't have to be a Christian to realize things are not okay right now. It's actually almost like God created us in a very particular way for a particular purpose, whether you're Christian or not, you still recognize these truths. Um, but we don't see that ultimate end until we get in, uh, till we have the Holy spirit kind of work in our lives and transform us. And so I say all that to say, that's a long way of saying I have hope because of Jesus. I have hope because of what he's done on the cross, what he's already accomplished and nothing is going to change that no matter how powerful or crazy a lot of the technologies we have today are, uh, nothing is going to change who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for us. Yeah. You know, the end of the story and that's exactly, it's a powerful thing for hope. Um, since you brought it up, your other book, the age of AI, artificial intelligence and the future of humanity between now and the end of the story, are we going to be overtaken by robots? Like, is this a thing where <laughs> we're looking at Terminator two? Like, is this uh give, give us a couple minutes on is AI going to, end up conquering us yeah uh the short answer is no (laughs) um the the long answer (laughs) we can yeah we can just cut it there if you want but the short answer is no um and the reason is is because of who jesus is what god has said what god has already done i think it's easy for us in the midst of a lot of technological developments whether it be social media or ai and some of that some i understand some listeners are going doesn't that isn't that like super futuristic and far off it's actually something behind your social media devices, behind so many of the tools, whether it's Netflix or Amazon or what have you, is artificial intelligence, our yeah. algorithms that are shaping and forming how you see the world around you. And yeah. some of them are getting quite good. Um, they're getting quite good at predicting what you want, um, which can be really convenient or really scary, depending on which perspective you want to take. Um, they're also getting very advanced where these machines and these uh, technologies are doing things that once were reserved for humans. So naturally we think, ah, this is kind of scary. Are they going to overtake us? Are they going to uh, kind of usher in kind of uh, the the apocalypse or, you know, get into these really sci-fi movie <laughs> plots and Terminator and all of that stuff. And so let's bracket some of that stuff out, the sci-fi movie plots. Let's just talk about here and now or what's coming down the pike. We can realize that while these technologies may grow bigger, stronger, faster, more advanced and all of those things, they're never going to be able to change who God is 
and how he's made us in his image. We are the crown jewel of creation. It's not about us. It's actually about who God is. That's the beauty part about we're created in the Imago Dei or the image of God. We're not creating the image of man. We're creating the image of God. So thus, when we try to understand who we are, we have to look to who God is. And that's the kind of the beauty of the Imago Dei or the image of God there. So I say all that to say, and that's really the thrust of my first book, is to say, while we have a lot of challenges before us, and these machines are getting more and more advanced and doing things that uh, we never thought they'd be able to do, that doesn't change who we are. And so there, there are still tools that can be used um, for particular means and particular ends. Um, but we have to understand going back to that paradigm that we talked about earlier of discipleship is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors ourself. That is the core of how we're called to then live in the, in the light of the digital age or the technological age we're facing, or even the age of AI. And so these are indeed tools that we can use, but they are shaping and forming us in particular ways. And we need to recognize and realize some of those things. Um, but no, I mean, I don't think we're going to, they're going to usher in the apocalypse. They're not going to change who God is. They're not going to change who we are, um, yeah. but they are going to challenge us in very unique ways. And I think Christians of all people, not only preparing the next generation, but even preparing um, the church for today to encounter the challenges we face, we can do so from a place of hope. We can also do a place of reality and truth, because if this is really God's world and God really did create us, there is nothing that we can make with our hands that's going to overtake what he made with his hands. That's going to that's going to change who we are. That's going to change God's world in that sense. And so we have to realize that all truth is God's truth in that sense, uh, that nothing, none of this shocks or surprises God. He's not like, oh, man, I can't believe they did that. I'll never figure out what are we going to do now, Jesus? And he's like, no, this has been the plan from the very beginning. Like we always knew this. We all God is completely sovereign. He's uh, completely, fully, and omniscient, and omnicompetent, and om, uh, omnipotent. And so He can help us to navigate these things uh, because the Word of God is true, uh, because of who He is, what He's done, and how He's called us to live in the world around us. Yeah, that's good. The book once again is called "Following Jesus in a Digital Age." By Jason Thacker. Jason, thank you so much for carving out time to be with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, in addition to that, a student's guide to social media. So if you're looking for specific tools that you can uh, give to teenagers, help families, both of these things together, following Jesus in a digital age and a student's guide to social media will help you along the way. Uh, we're thankful for Jason's uh, diligent work in writing these things so that uh, you guys can use them in your local churches. So Jason, thanks for being with us. Well, Producer Nathan, I'm, I'll jump. Let me jump in here with what I'm taking away. We don't have to worry about Terminator, the robot. It's a good thing. <laughs> we don't or have or the Matrix or any of those. Yeah. So we have uh, we have confirmed no robot takeovers uh, as a part of artificial intelligence. So thankful mm -hmm. that. Uh, what what are you walking away with today besides that great news? Yeah. Besides that, uh, I, I really liked how Jason talked about it. It kind of goes into what he was saying there at the end, jokingly about those kind of things. But I do think oftentimes we don't, we lose sight of the end and we lose sight of knowing that the victory is already, is already won. And so I think that is a big thing to keep in mind when, when dealing with social media and with dealing with these things is that no matter what comes our way, 
uh, as he so eloquently put, you know, keep that focus on Christ, stay plugged into him, let our minds be transformed by the things of the gospel. Like you talked about there in Romans 12 too. try not to get so down about yeah. the, maybe, maybe the doom and gloom aspect of it, but then also to see technology as that tool that, I mean, it, technology literally right now is helping spread the gospel to the nations in ways that was never possible before. Yeah. And I think that's an amazing thing. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it is furthering the advances of like finding cures for different types of cancer and mm-hmm. like all, you know, we could go down the list and talk about all the things that, that technology is doing. I agree with you. Like there are massive positives as well as massive challenges. And I'm thankful for the hope. I'm thankful like you, the end of the story is written. We know like technology is not, it, it might change our world. It might change how we interact with our world and each other. It does not change who God is and it does not change who we are. And mm-hmm. I think that's a helpful reminder, even for students, if uh, youth pastors, if you're preaching on something like this coming up, I think that that is a helpful distinction to give a calm and steadiness and consistency to your teenagers that, Hey, like technology is changing everything in our world and it is moving at a lightning speed. But one thing it's not changing is God and how he interacts with us. And it's not changing who he has made us to be. So while it might attempt to shape us in a different way, it cannot change our identity. And I think that is a powerful, powerful way for our students to understand the digital age that they live in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that we don't have to worry about Terminator. Yep. It's a good thing. Yeah. This has been another episode of the Student Ministry Podcast by Lifeway. Hey, we'll see you next time.